0: Welcome to the Her Inspired Journey podcast, a show all for women about living your best life and fulfilling your passions from the back country to the table. No matter where you are, what hurdles you've faced, or where you want to go next, we're right here on this journey with you. It's time to take charge, pave your way, and create success. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of the Her Inspired Journey podcast. I'm stoked about today. And I will say, honestly, I did not anticipate the Q&A episodes to roll over into part three, but they have. The reason being, I wanted to be able to spend enough time on each question to make sure I gave a thorough answer. But today's are all going to be personal questions that you've sent in to me. I'm going to be answering these a little bit more rapid fire. Some of them are on how to get started as a brand new hunter. Some are going to be covering a day in the life of me, what I eat, the things that I like to do, how I've overcome certain experiences, and just a little bit more about my life. I hope that you enjoy today's episode, and if you haven't already got a chance, make sure you head back to listen to episode 33 and 32, which also cover some different topics from you all. 33 is going to be all about hunting, answering your field questions things that I take on my hunts, overrated and underrated gear, and much, much more. 32 is going to be focused on depression topics, mindset, how I've overcome some different experiences in my life, and my best advice for you about moving the needle in your own life. Jump into today's show, and I hope that you enjoy it. Question number one comes from Gina out of Alaska. This is the same girl who I have gone on several different adventures with lately, including the doll sheep hunt in Alaska. I really appreciate this question and thank her so much for sending it in because it's something that I think a lot of people can learn from. Gina asks, what are the first three steps for someone learning to hunt? Honestly, this question makes me so happy because we've all been there at some point, whether we grew up hunting or we're getting into it later in life. There is a beginning place when it comes to the outdoors and harvesting your own animals. The very first thing I would say is to contact your local fish and wildlife office or give them a call to just talk about what's required in your state to hunt. Even if you're thinking about, you know, hunting abroad or going to a different state, it's good to think ahead, contact those offices and to figure out exactly what you might need. Some places require hunter's education or archery certifications. And they also often have additional resources for you to just check out and learn. Um, You know, when you're brand new to something, I always say, you only know what you know. You can also say, you don't know what you don't know. There's so many different things to pick up on, to learn to understand, and to get a grasp on. That way, if you can go to an office, talk to a biologist, or just give them a call and chat over the phone, there's a lot that they can probably tell you about. The Department of Fish and Wildlife, or whatever it's called in your state, Also is a good place to go with questions about hunting specifics. This is something I've done a lot. In fact, it's something that my dad taught me growing up. He would always call the biologist um, in that particular unit before we would go for a hunt. He would ask questions on maybe recommended areas to go over the tag or excuse me, over the counter tags, um, getting a perspective on success or draw rates or general information on how to hunt the intended species that you're going for. Maybe you've hunted deer, but you haven't hunted for bear. And it's nice to be able to get a little bit more from them on maybe where to look for them or what they're going to be feeding on that time of year, you know, when they're going to be moving around into different areas and different terrain features. So it's good to call them, just get an idea. That's a great place to start. I actually routinely still call the ODFW before hunting to ask additional questions. So even if it's a species that I know and I've hunted before, an area that I know and that I've hunted before, I'll just call to see if there's any current conservation projects in the area, if they've been doing any studies on animals there, if there's been any regulation changes, which is something that's super common. I always want to make sure that I am definitely in the right with what I'm doing, where I'm hunting and how I'm approaching my hunts. So it's really good to get any clarification or ask any further questions from them you'll want to pick up a couple paper copies also of hunting regulations I keep one in the rig depending on where we're going to go I also keep one in my office at home that way I can brush up if I need to or I can look at additional questions there so that's definitely the very first place that I would start if you are a brand new hunter Secondly, and in an all honesty, I would say master your machine. If you're bow hunting, great. If you're rifle hunting, great. Just know how to use it efficiently and effectively. It doesn't matter which one you're choosing. You should know as much about one as you do the other. You know, if you're a crossover hunter and you're going to go rifle hunting, but you're primarily a bow hunter, Just brush up on things, make sure that you're proficient. It's a hundred times more important than the camo you're wearing, the gear you have, the pack you're using, whatever. Spend time handling shooting and working with that weapon because you can't kill what you can't kill and you never want to have any mishaps happen. You definitely know your machine if you ever approach a shot opportunity, if something's not right on your bow or... If something's not right on your eye relief, on your scope, you're going to know about it ahead of time. So make sure you spend a lot of time with that weapon. The third thing I would say, find a mentor or an industry professional and dive into learning as much as you can about hunting in general. If you want to hunt elk, dive into elk. If you want to learn new tips or calling strategies, Google, YouTube, there's so many different resources out there for you. There's going to be a grain of salt that you need to take with some of it. But just keep in mind, research, information, all of that stuff will help lead to your success. Same goes for any other species of animals. Learn the animal, learn the land, learn what they want to be doing, eating, the places that they sleep, their transitional transitional areas, the places that they're going to feed and the habits that they might have over the course of that season. Those are the biggest things. That I would say if you are trying to get into hunting and you don't know exactly where to start, those three things should help point you in the right direction. This next question is so incredibly hard for me to answer and I've read it a couple times and I haven't defined who this person will be yet. I'm actually not even going to think about it anymore until I answer it. This question comes from Dave. I do not know where Dave is from, but thank you for sending this in. He asks, if you could hunt with anyone, who would it be? Oh my gosh, why is this such a hard question to answer? First and foremost, I think of this like kind of cheesy, if you will, thing like, well, my dad, I'd love to have more time hunting with my dad, just getting more field time, Questions, campfires, you know, packouts, all of that kind of stuff. It's never enough hunting time with my dad. The other side of me thinks something way over the top, like Donnie Vincent, like super fun to go and learn from Donnie Vincent. He's a biologist. He spends a lot of time in the field. He has a lot of successes, trials and errors. So it'd be cool to learn from him. But more importantly, I don't know that I have an actual answer for this Um, I guess it's going to be somewhere between those two. I love learning. And I know that in my last podcast episode, uh, number 33, the Q&A, where I got a question from Jessica and she asked, how do you know if you could be a good hunting partner with somebody or not? It's so hard to know, but there's this part of me that would love to have these experiences with lots of different kinds of hunters, different species, different methods, all kinds of things, because I think that you learn so much from doing that. So I know it's kind of lame that I don't really answer the question, but I would hunt with a lot of different people to gain the experience that they might have to learn from them to hear old timer stories to share, you know, successes and victories and packouts and all of the things in between that would be my answer. Next question comes from Juliana out of Oregon. She attended one of my ladies seminars this year and it was a blast getting to know her. She says, what shoes do you prefer when you were hunting in Oregon? What would you recommend for when you know you're going to get wet? Oh my goodness, shoes. Let me tell you what, my feet have changed so much in the last year and a half. I don't know if it makes sense at all, but I blame having my hysterectomy. In fact, honestly, you guys... My left foot is now almost an entire size and a half bigger than my right foot. My feet have become a giant pain in my butt and finding the right shoes has been really hard. I'm going to be honest, I had a time earlier this spring, I walked out of the woods with my boots in my hand because my feet were hurting so bad. I understand the trials And how hard it can be to define what that shoe is going to be, the intended use, the terrain, all different kinds of things. I've actually even melted a pair of my boots in uh, sitting around a campfire in the middle of the wilderness because my feet were so wet and so cold. So I've tried a lot of things that haven't worked for me. And with this answer, I will say, like many things, when it comes to gear or experiences or preferences, it's really important that you try for yourself different things. What works for me might not work for you. So make sure that you get enough time to do research, go try things on and really have a good experience. So the boot I've been running for a while is by Jag Hund. They're out of Austria. It's been a great boot for me. I really wish I thought about it beforehand, but I can't think of the, the model. I'll link to it in the show notes. It was a great boot. The only problem with that is it's like a a mid-range boot, so there's not a ton of support, which is fine for me, especially over in the west side of Oregon. There's always lots of, you know, downfall, debris, slash, you know, logs, and all kinds of stuff here, so it's nice to be able to feel your footing. When you get into a more rigid or mountaineering boot, a lot of times you can't feel the earth under you so much. It's meant to be rugged. It's meant to be able to support the lower leg for toe holds, you know, side hilling, all kinds of stuff, really uneven, um, mountainous terrain. So the boot that I used this year in Alaska was the, the Brickstall by Crispy, and I loved it. It was a great boot, good support, no hot spots um kept my feet really dry. So there's two different spectrums of things. Um, It really depends on the application. Again, what kind of terrain you're going to be in, what the temperatures are, if there's going to be snow, moisture, river crossings, if you're going to be climbing, you know, if there's a lot of ascent involved or descent or side hilling. um, You just want to know what you're getting into. With that said, there's just, you know, so many different all boot companies are going to have a pretty decent variety. Some of them might not have everything from a a basic mountain boot to a mountaineering boot, but you can kind of pick and choose. Um, I've heard really great things about Kenetrek. Some people hate them. Some people love them. Uh, Loa is another one. Um, You know, Danner, it just really depends on your feet. So I would go and try them all. The one thing I will say about the Jag Hunt that I run in my normal seasons is we went on a Mount St. Helens hike earlier this year. It was a girl's trip. There was Kenetrax, there was Loa's, there were Crispy's, there were Danner's, and there was one other brand I can't recall off the top of my head, and I had my Jag Huns on. And my feet stayed dry, and everybody else's had got wet. So pretty cool testimony to those boots. I will also say that we treat them, we waterproof them, and we keep you know really good care of those boots. So I think no matter what you get, make sure it works for you and the place that you're going to be going for what you're going to be hunting and make sure that you take care of your boots for sure if you're going to be over on the west side or if you're going to be in you know coastal terrain where there's going to be a lot of maneuvering debris hill climbs you know loose areas um you know trees limbs all kinds of stuff under your feet Just make sure that you're in a boot that gives you ankle stability and also allows you to feel what you're moving up against. You never want to put yourself in a position to get hurt when you're in the field. Super quick warning on this next topic. And for anybody, maybe some men that are listening in, the next topic is going to be about periods and menstruation while you're in the backcountry, just to give you a little heads up and allow you to skip forward if you'd like. We're going to be talking about that until 1750. So if you want to skip ahead, skip forward now to avoid this topic, jump back in at 1750. I do not know who this next question came from, but I do remember it coming from Instagram The question is, how does a female hunter deal with hygiene and other female things in the backcountry? I wish I had a guest on for this question, but I really kind of felt awkward about asking somebody to come on to talk about their period while they're hunting. With that said, there are several things I like to do in general as far as hygiene goes when you're in the field. I always pack baby wipes. In fact, actually, it's going to make it on my regret list like will not bring again list but I bought some biodegradable uh, wipes off of Amazon I googled backcountry biodegradable wipes and I thought well these will be perfect they're intended for backcountry use so people are trying to go in light you know I'll just get these I did not find the overall total weight of the wipes but when I got them they were ungodly heavy I'm kidding not. It was over a pound of wipes that I brought. So I was pretty bummed about that, but I was really kind of just had had it said that I was going to bring those ones. So I brought those with me and they, they were great. It was nice to have something that was biodegradable. And the other thing I really liked about these particular ones outside of the weight was that they were easily rippable so sometimes uh, baby wipes when you wipe them they'll just kind of like rip kind of crazy and you don't get an even tear these ones tore really evenly they are also the extra large wipes so I could get within a couple of those wipes I could break them apart and use them for my face or for going to the bathroom or whatever so I use those for that in particular and my creature comfort when I'm in the backcountry is to have face wipes every single day rain or shine i put on a tinted moisturizer with spf on my face i spent many years with bad skin and so for me this is just something that i like to have so i took those with me as well and so typically what i'll do is first i'll wash my face with them And then afterwards, maybe I'll do my armpits or my bra line or something like that. And then if there's any life left in them before I've maybe washed my armpits or something, or if I've done that with a different wipe, I'll wash my hands. So it's really nice to just feel like you can get kind of clean. Um, The other thing when it comes to periods, I don't have any good information for you here. Hopefully I'll be able to find somebody for this question at some point but I haven't myself had a period in most of my adult life, and I don't have periods anymore since my hysterectomy. So I know that there's some good things that you can use from biodegradable tampons to the little cups, the silicone cups. Um, it really just depends on what you are going to be able to do while you're out there. I know I've talked to some women who don't want to use the cups while they're there because of the mess, you know. Um, But I think take just plan ahead take what you need make sure that you take panty liners with you I know that's something that people really like to do Can also help with if you're going for a while and you won't be taking multiple pairs of underwear It can kind of be nice because it's more disposable Take a big ziploc bag and you can just put all of your toiletry or hygiene disposable waste into one bag This next question comes from an Instagram follower out of Oregon, and she asks, I've been wondering what a day in the life of Courtney looks like food-wise. What are your staple foods, and what are your favorite foods and treats to yourself? Super great question and something that I look forward to answering for you because I think it is something we all kind of wonder what somebody else is doing, what they're eating and kind of like what their splurges are for me a day in the life of eating starts with good coffee every morning i wake up to my coffee it's already ready to go i typically will do a scoop of coconut oil in there or coffee booster so a high fat coffee boost and then i'll put a quarter scoop of the wilderness athlete paleoish protein in there and then i will do a little bit of my homemade creamer So I'll have that, and that usually satiates me a cup or two until about 11.30 or 12. Then I'll have some kind of a small snack, probably a scoop of peanut butter or maybe a slice of apple with peanut butter. And truth be told, lately I've been putting Himalayan salt, coarse salt, on my almond butter. It's so good. If you haven't tried it already, get an apple, slice it up, put a little layer of some sort of a nut butter, peanut butter, or an almond butter, sunflower butter, something like that. Put a little bit on there and dump some salt. Ah, it is so good. So I'll have that and then I'll have uh, lunch before I start the second half of my day where I go to work for the school. Um, I'll have that about two o'clock. Typically, it's a protein with a salad or maybe scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs is actually my go-to quite a bit. I'll put some fresh vegetables. Sometimes I'll do some seared kale in there. Um, And then dinner is going to be meat and potatoes kind of thing. Um, I'll do like a sweet potato or a steamed veggie. And then whatever kind of a wild game protein we have, it can be fish, venison, elk, bear, sheep, you know, whatever we have access to. We don't eat out very much, so it's pretty seldom uh, to go out to eat. Typically, I'll throw something in the crock pot because working 10 to 12-hour days, it's really difficult for me to feel like I'm making good choices and putting healthy food on the table for my family. So I'll start something, I'll take out a couple meat choices earlier in the week, and then I'll just have go-to Uh, crock pot meals, which are really, really nice. I also like to repurpose food. I am like the queen of leftovers. Having leftovers and quick, easy things to heat up in my fridge are a lifesaver for me. So a lot of times I'll go to that. I do want to say, though, if I'm in a really busy season or if it's hunting season, so I'm going to be going hunting after work, and I know that there's just a lot going on, I'll actually subscribe to a meal service. So I'll get something like Green Chef or HelloFresh, and I'll subscribe to get meals coming Sunday through Thursday. Um, That, for me, really saves a lot of time, so I'll be able to just make those meals. The nice thing about this, too, is my 13-year-old son loves to cook and these are really nice for him because I give him reading credit so I make my kids read every day but this will give him reading credit so if he follows the instructions and makes the meals then he doesn't have to do extra reading homework that night and he loves to do it it's super fun to get the kids in the kitchen and it's nice for me because then a meal is made and I don't have to make it so that's kind of the go-to's for me my splurges would be I'm a savory salty kind of person, so. It's really, really rare if I crave something sweet. Um, If it's a sweet craving, I'll probably have a little bit of dark chocolate or some sort of like a fat bomb or something like that. Um, If we go out and get ice cream or have cake or something, I typically will take a couple bites and give it to somebody else. But when it comes to the savory, salty indulgence, that's where my weakness is. So things like homemade bread or you know, pretzels or a bag of chips or chips and salsa. Those are my big splurges. Um, If it could be a Friday night and I could sit down with a bag of chips and salsa and a margarita, I would be one happy camper. So that's kind of my splurge when it comes to, uh, you know, just kind of maybe deviating a little bit from the normal healthy stuff. I do want to say, though, with this question, even if you are somebody who is, you know, you have these cravings, whether it's sweet or salty or whatever, but you're really trying to follow a plan, don't just neglect that desire and the craving. Make sure that you're working little bits of moderation of that sweet treat or that savory snack in every once in a while so that you don't feel deprived. Nobody wants to feel deprived and one more than likely once you do, You're gonna fall off the wagon. So make sure, even if you want to, you're splurging just a little bit within good moderation. Thanks so much for the question. Next up, my badass friend and alpha bow hunting phenomenon, Caitlin Turner out of Colorado, asks: What is your dream hunt and when are you gonna make it to happen? Honestly, I love both of these questions. Because it's not just about what the dream is, but when you're going to take action on it. So I really appreciate this. And without a doubt, it's moose. I know a lot of people might not think that this species is like a dream hunt. But honestly, for me, I have this unanswered curiosity when it comes to these giant animals. My real dream, and I hope my dad's not listening to this, but it would be surprising him with this hunt and doing it together. I constantly think about giving him the thank you for raising me a hunter, here's the hunt of a lifetime line, and giving this to him. I hope that I can make that happen soon, and I'm thinking about doing it next year. So hopefully he doesn't listen. He jokingly said to me a month back, oh, you have a podcast? So that either means he is totally joking and he listens occasionally, or he'll never tune in. So I guess if the surprise is ruined, then we shall see, but... I'm, uh, I'm so thankful for just the upbringing that I had with my dad and always having him answer my curious questions about the outdoors and animals and, and how to do things and how to do things the right way and his stories growing up and the experiences that he's had. So at some point in my life, I hope to give him the ultimate thank you and take him on that trip. Hopefully, my fingers are crossed right now, it happens next year. If you know Caitlin or you want to hear a little bit more about her and her story and what drives her, make sure that you tune in to episode 20. What is bow excuse me, what is Alpha Bow Hunting all about? I got to sit down with her when I was in Denver at No Limits Archery, and she was a ton of fun to talk to. And I think that you'll also enjoy that episode. Miranda from Texas says, Questions for the podcast? I'm a brand new listener. I've been looking for women that bow hunt, not in bikinis, to learn from, and I somehow followed a rabbit trail to your Instagram page and was so excited when I saw you had a podcast. Her question, her number one question is, what specifically do you do to build strength in your shoulders, core, and arms to be able to draw your bow and increase your poundage? Certain workouts that have helped you? Question mark. So this is really cool because I know that it's a topic and question that a lot of people have um, been curious about themselves. There are definitely things I do to increase my shooting stamina. um, But I also want to tell you, I started somewhere. I remember many, many, many years ago, uh, probably like 15 to be exact, somebody put a bow in my hand and asked me to try to draw it. Now, I don't recommend this kind of thing at all, especially if you have zero experience with archery, like I did. But I remember trying to draw that thing and thinking, oh my gosh, like this is so incredibly hard. And that was obviously well before I became a fitness training specific to women bow hunting. But it also is something I think back on a lot because I think like it's so hard, especially if you don't know what you're doing, to fine-tune the mechanics of drawing a bow, of stabilizing the bow, and of making good shots. So there are definitely things that I like to do, and I'll just give you a little bit of a rundown. You can check out the show notes for links to where you can learn more about this and links to some specific workouts that I can send to you to make sure that you are all on point here. But... Making sure that you have a good base of strength and solid mechanics is the number one thing that I would say for anybody, but specifically if you want to put a bow in your hands and be shooting. So you want to make sure that you have good shoulder mobility, that you have good range of motion, and strength has a couple different facets. You can be strong, right? You can have big muscles, but you also need to make sure that the supporting structure, soft tissue, ligaments tendons, you know, that that range of motion is all going to be on point to stabilize the strength that you do have. So I often have people work up on internal external rotators, making sure that the sh- the shoulder is really a stable joint. Um, you can do shoulder presses, you can do bent over rows, you can do tricep extensions, tricep dips, you can do, um, uh, excuse me, a high pull or like a push press, um, kettlebell work, dumbbell work, barbell work. It's all really important. But one of the things that I love the most is incorporating bands into your workout. It's nice because they weigh virtually nothing. You can take them on road trips, vacations in your office, on the road, wherever. It's really nice to be able to have access to doing those. And using bands really allows you to get into the mechanics of the shoulder and work on things like your rotator cuff, Uh, internal, external rotation. So things that are going to be specifically stabilizing that specifically. Again, you can check out the link in the show notes to go over and to find some workouts and some other related things on building that. But with that said, I do build programs for women who are trying to improve that draw weight. Um, Depending on where you're hunting, there might be specific regulations and there likely are in all 50 states on the poundage that you need to be able to pull to be able to harvest different species deer elk etc so make sure you first know what that regulation is so you have something to work up to it's nice to be able to have a goal when you have that starting place to see the progress over time Um, i like to use band works a lot if you're in a gym you can use cable machines to do some different extensions and pulls Um, that will help with that, but if you can, having an AccuBow or a device like an AccuBow is really beneficial to be able to mimic both the stability and the strength needed to hold your bow at full draw. this is kind of related to a question I just got via email from Sarah Asher who was asking me about how I can how she can learn to let down her bow. So once you come to full draw, whether it's on an animal or whether it's in practice and you decide that you're not going to shoot that arrow, something's not right. Maybe your arrow fell out of the rest or make sure you didn't dial or you know, maybe you didn't dial back your pin. Something could happen. It could be, you know, you lost your shot opportunity or whatever the case may be knowing how to let your bow down is so important. In fact, my shooting coach Joel Turner with Shot IQ, who is phenomenal by the way, is has impressed upon me the idea that if your shot is not perfect, let it down. Never shoot an arrow that isn't d- doesn't feel right that you haven't gone through your entire, you know, shot sequence. If something's not right or if you need to, you always need to be able to confidently have the ability to let your bow down. I literally didn't know that this was a thing until I got this question via email from Sarah. I figured everybody kind of knew how to let your bow down. But I also understand that all bows are not created equal and that sometimes bows are a little bit harder or have a bigger pull when you get over that back end of the bow and you go to let it down. I know this because my Bowtech Realm X is one of those bows that's a little bit harder to let down. And after having shoulder surgery a year and a half ago, for me, that's something I have to be able to do and know that I'm not risking the potential for more injury, so definitely I would work on how to do that with bands. Get the band c- to come all the way back, and then just you know, just like you're mimicking coming to full draw with that band, you can stabilize the other part of the band in your hand, or you can do it, you know, use this on a cable machine, and then work on that reversal. So you can obviously imagine coming to full draw and pulling that elbow back nice and high, and bringing your hand toward the side of your face but now think about using that band or your Akiba or the cable machine and slowly, nice and slow, maybe a count of five to eight, you're gonna let that bow come forward. You're gonna let that band come forward. So work on the reversal of that movement and build up strength and endurance in that area that will help you a lot let down your bow. The other thing that you can do if you are at a range or you have a target out in your backyard is get up really close to that and come to full draw and while you're there really close within a tight range because I know it can be a little bit intimidating lower the bow just a little bit and go ahead and try to let that down I think one of the mistakes that people make when they come to full draw and they go to let down is that they feel like they just kind of relax their muscles and so they get this big initial pull that pulls them forward And there is a potential for injury to happen there. So I want you to think about keeping your muscles engaged and really slowly just beginning to initiate that relaxed state to bring that forward. You're still going to be in control of it, but it'll allow you to let that arrow down. With that said, I want to challenge you right now to think about the next time you approach your shooting or you're getting your bow out or maybe you're in the field and you're at full draw on an animal. If it's not a perfect shot, don't shoot. Let it down. In practice or in the field, make sure that you're not perfecting bad habits, right? We never want to do things the wrong way. We want to do things the right way. So I really challenge you to be the letdown queen if you need to. So Miranda has a couple more questions. She also asks... What are some brands that you like for gear that actually fit women? While this is a super hard question to answer also because everybody is drastically different, there are a couple brands that I have really enjoyed for women, ones that I have a lot of experience in. Number one is the Sitka women's line for camo. Um, Their line for me literally fits me like it was made for me. I'm 5'10", I'm athletically built, I have a small waist and big hips and a big butt and big legs. It's something that for me has made it extremely difficult to find pants, specifically pants or. Um, even like jacket tops or or long sleeves that fit with long enough arms. And their line for me fits like a glove. If I'm sitting in a tree stand, the, the bottom of my coat covers down, comes back to the bottom of my pants and then some, so I don't have the, my lower back hanging out, which is really nice. They're durable. They're super functional. They're very tactical. And for me, they have done an incredible job. Again, over here on the west side, there's lots of thorns, briars, stickers, I mean, I feel like everything over here wants to rip you apart, essentially. And so the durability that I found from these in the last two seasons has been incredible. They've held up really well. That's not to say there's no snags, but the snags that are there, I am so blown away by how minimal it is compared to the crap I've been through. Um, Cryptech also has another good women's line. Their line for me doesn't fit me super well, but I know it does for some other women. So that one might be good and worth checking out. But for sure, Sitka gets my number one vote because I think that they've pretty much thought of everything, every pocket placement, every zipper, every waterproof, you know, zipper, all kinds of things. They have got it down. So I will also link to the Sitka women's line in the show notes, and you can check out some of their other stuff. I know that there are other things, Girls With Guns, uh, Prios, uh, there's lots of different brands. I haven't had a lot of experience with those other ones. So there might be somebody that could better answer that question as far as camo goes. Um, she also asks, she says, and it's so cute. And if you need another question, I would love to know how you got started in bow hunting and a little bit about where you started from and what got you to where you are now on this journey. I think that's a really cool question because, um, I, I love my journey. It's been rocky, it's been great, it's been fast, um, and it's been pretty furious. So for me, I got this curiosity, if you will, um, about five years ago to start shooting a bow. Um, again, and you've heard me say it before, I grew up rifle hunting with my dad. It was awesome. We hunted primarily mule deer, and then I started hunting solo for um bear and blacktail here in Oregon. And hunting with a rifle is is super fun, and it's not to say that it's easy, but there just wasn't this personal development that I felt like I needed to have. I'd done it for decades, and I found a lot of success in it. And there was something about the period of life I was in where I just wanted to learn more. I wanted to dive in. I wanted to have a little bit more of a challenge. And uh, I didn't know at the time what a challenge bow hunting would be, but it was definitely something that interest me. So, I talked to a couple friends, I went into a couple bow shops, the Bow Rack and Bow Tech here in Oregon, um in the Eugene area, and shot a bunch of different bows. Um and I instantly was hooked. I was like, I want to shoot. I don't know if I'll ever be good enough to go and hunt with it, but I know that I want to move in that direction and I know that I want to get a bow. So, I did that and I personally just started trying to learn everything I could. I shot every single day, didn't miss a day, shot multiple times sometimes. And I just spent a ton of time trying to figure out the kinks and I'd watch videos. I would look up other women that were bow hunters, you know, Chrissy Knox, Christy Titus, Rihanna Carey. Um, I would just try to follow what they were doing. I would try to visualize how they were shooting, how they were approaching the trigger on their release, were they shooting a wrist release or a hand release? You know, how were they holding their bow? What did their grip look like? Uh, were they shooting with both eyes open or did they have one eye closed? You know, I was trying to figure out all of those things. And I it never went a day without trying to improve somewhere. And unfortunately, I was having a lot of issues with my consistency when I first started shooting. So I would take pictures of my groups. I would just send them to friends. I would try to just really dissect what could have gone wrong, like maybe what made those flyers happen or what made me do this or that. And so I was just trying to get really in tune with the process. I would look at my bow and how it was set up and how the strings moved and where the cables slid to and how my arrow flew out and what my rest was doing. And it really just like consumed me. And I started journaling about it. So I'd go out for my shooting session. I had numbered my my arrows. I just put a little, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever the case may be on my fletches. And I would shoot them so that I would document where those hit. And over time, and now that I know well into my journey, I can knock tune arrows if I'm getting flyers by just simply turning them and using a different odd vein. Um, there's a bunch of different things that you could do that I didn't know at the time. So I started kind of improving these inconsistencies. I started shooting different bows and kind of getting it figured out. And over time, it just really evolved into being something I'm wildly passionate about. Um... So in that first year, I went to my first 3D shoot. I was invited by some friends to go down to the Western Classic in Redding, California, which is the biggest or was at the time uh, the largest 3D archery shoot in the world. It's where, you know, national championships and pro shooters come. So I was well over my head. But I think for me, that gave me the exposure I needed to to ask more questions And to just get this really inside view into what the archery community looks like. And I will tell you, it was still to this day, one of my best experiences. It's where I met so many different people and made connections and, you know, just have been able to really dive into that realm. And it's been amazing. So that's been a huge part of my journey. And from there, I just kept going to 3D shoots, learning as much as I could, going to local shoots, going to out-of-state shoots. Um, and spending a lot of time just really dialing in my shot process because I don't think, you know, as somebody with a background in movement and and muscle mind connection and all of that kind of stuff, I understand the process of learning something new. So I was able just to spend enough time in that that I was able to get to the place that I'm at now. With that said, there's so much more for me to learn, and my quest to be a student of archery is never satisfied. I always want to make sure that I'm learning more, that I'm understanding different methods, different releases, different processes. You know, I I got to learn how to shoot with a mouth tab after my uh, shoulder surgery. And for me, that was really, really fulfilling because I've been able to, since then, teach other people how to do it, and see them have successes. In fact, my good friend Josh Keller with Shootin' the Bull podcast just arrowed. He's arrowed a few things now with his mouth rig setup, but he was just able to take a bull, I believe, in Montana. So I'm really stoked for him. And anybody else that may have limitations or old injuries or surgeries or maybe you have a certain disability or are limbless, I would love to answer questions about how to shoot a bow with your mouth. It's super fun. So I hope that that answers more of your questions on kind of where my journey um, started and kind of what's made it progress. And um, yeah, it's been fun. It's a very fond memory and I'm super excited to keep going with it. So um, I've got another question from Elena in Colorado and she says, I've heard you ask this to someone else on your podcast before and maybe you've answered it. But what is your most memorable hunting moment? Oh my goodness. I feel like I have several that stand out to me and all for different reasons. Maybe my favorite harvest or my favorite place to go and hunt or my favorite memory with my dad. But my all time favorite hunting memory is without a doubt what I call the frog pond buck. It was in a place that I have I I'd gone my entire life, like kid you not, since the time I was a toddler until the time in fact we went there a couple of years ago. This is the place that I knew hunting lived. My dad would get ready for the season and I would always beg him, even from a toddler, you know, and at a little as a little girl, you know, dad, take me hunting. I wanna I wanna go with you. For me. I loved the experience of the woods and the smell and, and the quietness. And I loved watching him bring home animals. You know, for me, it was, it was super satisfying. And we had the same camp. we camped in the same spot every single year. Uh, it was just over this little cattle guard. We camped in this little spot on the left. I had a, there was a group of trees right there by where my dad would back in the trailer And there was these big slabs of ponderosa bark. And we used them and we kind of put them up in these trees to make this little, what we called a store. My dad built some shelves and and whatnot. And my sister and I would pretend that it was our store and we'd sell my parents rocks and pine cones and whatever else we could find. You know, maybe we'd grab some canned food out of the trailer or whatever. And it was just such a fond memory to me. And this one year in particular, I think I was five or six. Um, I had begged my dad to go and he had to go without me and I was really bummed. And then my mom said, you know, like, I'm going to take you and your sister over and we packed our bags and we met him over there and we pulled into camp and I don't think we were even out of the car yet. And I was already on my dad begging him to take me down to the frog pond. It was just like a super short walk. Like at the time though, it felt like it was so far. Now looking back and having gone over there just a couple years ago, I was like, wait, Like, I thought that was such a far walk, but now looking back on it, it was super close. So he goes, yeah, yeah, we can walk down to the frog pond, you know? And so he, he goes, hold on, let me grab my gun and I'll never, you know, forget that. Because I think as a kid, I was like thinking like, we'll just, we're just going to the, like, we're not hunting dad. We're just going to look at frogs. And, uh, lo and behold, we get about, oh, I don't know, three quarters of the way there. And I see the very edge of the cutout pond and I just take off like a you know like a leopard and I'm just running as fast as I can and I remember thinking like what in the heck is and as I'm running you know like mid-stride I'm like wait what is and I see this buck lift up his head out of the pond he was drinking and what I was seeing was the top of his antlers and I tried to stop in my tracks I must have looked like the Flintstones. I'm like, you know, feet are in front of me. I'm like trying to stop. And my dad's like, Clark, get back here. And in the process of me kind of like tiptoeing backwards and my dad trying to get in front of me, he levels up, you know, squares up the rifle and shoots this buck right in front of me in this pond. And I was like the emoji, you know, when the head explodes, like I'm pretty sure that's exactly how I felt because though i'd been with him and i'd helped him skin deer and i've you know i'd seen him shoot one when i was in the truck and he was out you know in the woods before i'd never seen it like like this like it was so freaking real to me and so just like raw i was like uh, uh, that was freaking awesome like that was so cool and it's funny because looking back I think that was like the turning point for me where either I was about to be really in or really out because the the buck ended up dying in the water we had to end up dragging him out I I feel like and maybe this is true or not but I feel like the pond was like full of blood you know like it was very it was very upfront and in your face of the reality of what just happened you know and so I got to help, you know, help skin out this buck. And we've got it in the back of my dad's truck. And it's so funny because we have this picture and it's my sister and myself and my dad. And my dad, I think, is holding up the the buck's head, you know, by the antlers. And my sister's kind of got like one hand propped up on the gun. And I'm on the other side of the back of the truck. And I've got this bloody knife and my hand's all bloody. And I've got this look on my face. And looking back now, you know, my sister was there with us. And I love her to death, but we are so different. And she's now a vegan and I'm now like obsessed, like certifiably obsessed with hunting. So it just goes to show that different scenarios and experiences can bring people to different places. But I think even though there's been so many awesome memories and my first harvest and, you know, there's just been a lot of really cool things I've experienced in the field. I think that definitely stands out as my number one. Um I've got another question here and this will be the last one for this episode. This last question comes from Ashley and she is in Montana. I am super jealous. That's exactly where I wish I was. I know that you guys have hunting season still going on right now. Um so I wish you the best of luck if you're in the field and she asks what is the best frame pack you found? I have problems finding one to fit a woman's torso. The -the off-the-shelf ones are too long for me. So this is a really good question and something that's very practical for those who are out hunting or for those who might be looking for a different pack or pack frame. Um, She's specifically asking about packs that have built-in frames in them. So to answer this question, I have been pretty fortunate when it comes to pack And because I am tall, I've got a longer torso. For me, it's not quite as hard as it is for some of my friends, um, you know, family, clients, etc. So I definitely understand that this can be a big issue, especially when it comes to loading them up heavy and packing out meat with them. Depending on how far you have and what your weight load is, it can be really, really hard to strap the thing on your pack and to get it out without either a lot of pain or discomfort or irritation. So... When I first started, um, you know, as a rifle hunter, there were not very many places that I would be that I'd be that far from a road or an access point. Um, Our pack outs were pretty easy, to say the least. We would a lot of times drag them out. Um, We would bring a quad in. Things back then for me were a lot easier. It wasn't until I started archery hunting that I really had to assess how I was going to pack an animal out, you know, 10 miles Five miles, four miles. On my last one, it was 27 miles. So it's hard to figure out exactly what you're going to need and how your body's going to respond. But having the right pack is obviously, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of us hunters, especially backcountry hunters' opinion, it's like one of the most important pieces of gear. When I first started, I was trying to figure out like, okay, what do I want? What size is it going to be? How many cubic inches do I want my pack? What kind of accessories do I want to be able to put on them? And for me, cost was a big priority at the time. I was, and it still is. I shouldn't say at the time. It still is, you know, assessing the cost. So I ended up, I think on Camo Fire, finding a really inexpensive pack. It was on sale for, I don't know, $90 or something. And it was, oh, heavens, I wish I could remember. Badlands or I I honestly, I can't recall what it was. They got this pack. It was plenty big and I strapped it on. I was super excited. I was just going to take it on like a training run. You know, I was just going to go and hike the mountain with it. And it killed me. It Oh, my gosh. My back was on fire and I had these rub marks and I was pretty sure I was bleeding on one point of my shoulder. And it just, you know, it wasn't even the adjustments. It was adjusted as good as it could be for me, but it was super uncomfortable, didn't carry the load well, and it didn't give me enough variety of adjustments to where I could carry it comfortably. So I connected with Kafaru, started asking a million questions like I do with most things in my life. And dialed in a pack, and it's really nice because with Kafaro, they measure out your body size, so they're really trying to fit a pack to you instead of trying to put a one size fits all pack on the market. So you can decide what your torso length is, send them measurements, um, give them a frame size, and they can adjust a pack to you. So a lot of their hunting packs come as bags, and you buy the frame or the suspension system separately. So if you determine that you you need a 22-inch frame, which a lot of women do, then you can get that small size 22-inch frame and then get a bag to put on it. There are a couple limitations, and Dana Monroe, who works at Kafaru, and I talk about it in episode 25, it's how to choose and fit the right pack. Um, That would be a really good episode for you to follow up and listen to. We talk about the specifics. On the application that you'll be using it for, the size that you want, depending on how many days you'll be off grid, um, how women can choose their pack to fit them best, how to adjust it correctly, where the stays should sit, how the load lifters should be tightened, and all of the rest of the details are in that episode. But I can tell you without a doubt, I've always had really really good success with the packs fitting me and also with the durability of the packs. Like I said, I've packed out really far packs. I've also had really short packs. I've had really wet packouts. I've had, you know, super snowy, slippery, icy packouts, And I've never, literally never, knock on wood, had one issue with them. They've always been super great. They are a little bit more on the expensive side for people. But the difference for me is I had already invested $80 or $90 into a pack that did not work for me. So when it comes to these things and because of the durability, they are made in the U.S., they take care of their customers here, you're going to spend a lot less money over the lifetime of your hunting opportunities. So I am a huge advocate. I will raise my hand and say I am all for spending a little bit more up front, but not having to replace it or get it fixed or buy a new one because it's not working out for you. So that's definitely the way that I would go. And I will again link to that episode, episode 25, how to choose and fit the right pack with Dana Monroe. I want to thank you all so much for engaging with me, for asking questions, for getting involved, because ultimately you guys are on this journey with me. It may sound cliche, but it's not. I feel like you are all a part of the Her Inspired Journey brand the podcast and everything that's going on. I love your questions. I love your comments. I'm so thankful that you reach out and that you engage with me and that you talk to me. And I'm always here. If there's anything else on your mind, questions that you want to clarify, you can reach out to herinspiredjourney at gmail.com. You can follow me over on Instagram. If you're not already, my personal page, Her Outdoor Journey, or of course the podcast page, Her Inspired Journey. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. You all make me so happy and so driven to keep on keeping on. Have a great day. I hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. Well, ladies, that does it for this show for today. I hope that you found some inspiration, some good advice, and definitely some encouragement to take with you on the rest of your week. I'm already looking forward to coming back next week and giving you some more insight, some inspiration, and some tips on how to navigate your best life please be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Your feedback is so important to me. I would love to know the questions that you have, any topics or ideas and your feedback. You are so valuable to me and I really appreciate you taking the time to leave the review and subscribe to the show. See you next week on Her Inspired Journey.